This is Authorised Access, a podcast from Microsoft Australia and New Zealand about the cybersecurity challenges facing businesses today. On the show, you'll hear from leaders in cybersecurity from Microsoft and beyond as we explore high-level strategies to help confront risk in your organisation. We are living today in a multi-cloud, multi-platform, multi-environment world. It is more critical than ever that we keep our business safe. I'm Daniel Goffredo. I'm Jess Dodson. And I'm Kenny Singh. Hello and welcome to another episode of Authorised Access. And today, we are going to do things a little different and get straight into our guest chat. And as always, I am joined by Jess and Kenny. Our guest today is Stephen Bennett, a highly skilled Chief Information Security Officer and self-confessed security nerd with extensive experience in technology and cybersecurity industries. Currently serving as the CISO for Domino's Pizza Enterprises Limited, Stephen is responsible for overseeing the company's cybersecurity functions across 13 regions in Asia Pacific and Europe, supporting over 3,700 stores. With over 30 years of experience in the industry, working with large enterprise organizations in various market sectors, such as gaming, law enforcement, healthcare, and retail, Stephen has developed a deep understanding of cybersecurity practices and the latest trends in technology. Before joining Domino's Pizza Australia, he held several leadership positions in various companies, where he played a critical role in developing cybersecurity strategies and implementing security protocols. In the last financial year, Domino's Pizza Enterprises, the largest Domino's master franchise outside of the US, served a staggering 180 million pizzas, amounting to over seven pizzas sold every second. With 80% of all orders placed through their digital platform, Stephen's work is key in safeguarding customer data and ensuring a seamless user experience. Stephen has developed a robust cybersecurity framework that includes risk assessment, security monitoring, and response protocols to detect and overcome security incidents. He also leads a team of cybersecurity experts and collaborates with various stakeholders to ensure that security measures align with business objectives. Stephen holds a number of certifications, but is most proud of his OSCP, Offensive Security Certified Professional. Outside of work, he is passionate about sharing his knowledge and experience with the next generation of cybersecurity professionals and speaks when conjoled at industry conferences and events. Stephen is committed to promoting cybersecurity awareness and helping organizations stay safe in an ever-evolving threat landscape. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. So Stephen, what inspired you to pursue a career in cybersecurity? How did you start in the industry? I'd say I'd fell into it. I wouldn't say inspired. I'd, I'd love to say I watched war games and that inspired me to do cybersecurity. But to be honest, at the age I was when I watched war games, I didn't quite get that there was some kind of career path that you could have in something like cybersecurity. I started off, I guess, early on in my career as a print operator. So back in the day, some of you on this call probably won't remember this. You had people who went and fetched printouts and set up print jobs. And that was essentially my first role. Um, always liked to tinker. Uh, in that role, I was reading deck backs manuals and working out how I could script myself out of a job, essentially automate myself out of a role. And I guess then that led to, I guess, more tinkering and looking outside of, I guess, the realms of 
what was possible with scripting. And then I started getting into desktop computing because, again, that was pretty new. And then I think it's just progression from there. So looking into desktop support and then it was looking after servers, exchange servers, SQL servers, and then it migrated into networking. So looking at the routers and switches. And then I think it's when I hit the firewalling component, messing around with ASAs, you know, back in the day in the command line that I think I, I kind of clicked and went, hey, this is really cool stuff. And I think it was from there, it just evolved, I guess, from the networking side and just, yeah, migrating cybersecurity. And to be honest, I haven't looked back. It's the only career for me in, in IT, really. And it's beautiful when that click happens. Thank you so much for sharing. So you've just described the next part I'm going to talk about, Stephen, is around the the evolution of, of our industry and, and you're self-made within that. You started with protecting documents and then going into networking and then a lot of people in cyber kind of fall into into that from being networking people. But how do you stay up to date with it, with the constant changes on latest cybersecurity trends and different technologies that are out there? It's an interesting situation we're in back in the day. I guess information was very few and far between. You'd have essentially publications that were released occasionally, possibly have the odd news item. I think we've it's been flipped around now that we we get overrun with social media and news items and peer groups, conferences, RSS feeds. It's just this mountain of information that we kind of hit with. There's a kind of different problem we have now. I think it's actually filtering out, okay, well, what is the useful information we need to hear about? I usually give my team members a list of people on Twitter who are really good to follow that don't post garbage. There's certain news groups that I try and get people to subscribe to. Obviously, there's podcasts like this one. And then there's conferences and then there's talking to your peers. But it is hard because there is that much information that sometimes it gets you get buried. And I think the key as well is that because the cyber landscape is constantly evolving and changing, we need to constantly evolve and change as well. As a cybersecurity professional, as soon as you get to that point where you kind of go, well, I don't want to learn anymore. I think I'm good. I'm good now. And then I think it's no longer the place for you to be, really. It's you have to keep moving because, you know, the attackers and the environment is just changing all the time. I absolutely love that you mentioned that you fell into cybersecurity. That's how I describe it when I talk about it myself. It's not this path that you planned to take. And I think a lot of people, but also businesses feel very similar. So they kind of realize they need cybersecurity at some point. So what advice would you give to a business who's just starting to build that cybersecurity muscle, who's just looking at starting up their own SOC? I guess I'm going to get philosophical and go with a deep quote here. Sun Tzu in The Art of War basically said that, you know, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without a strategy is the noise before a defeat. And I guess what that's highlighting is that if you are going to set up a SOC, you really need that overarching strategy to start with. So you could come up with tactics and go, oh, well, we're going to put these agents on these devices. We're going to monitor our perimeter. We're going to do some pen testing. We're going to get some logging going. We're going to get a seam. And I guess they're all your tactics on how you're going to approach the SOC. But I think it's really, really important to go, oh, well, strategically, you know, what are you aiming for with the SOC and getting senior buy-in from the senior leaders about setting that SOC up? Because I think one of the problems is, and I've had this in past lives, is that when you're setting up a SOC, there's this perception that you just switch on 
you seam and you add a few logs and ta-da, your, your sock's all good to go. And I think it's trying to get that buy-in from leadership that you go, well, look, we're setting up a sock. And I think the term is you're trying to eat an elephant, really. It's a huge undertaking. And I think getting that buy-in from the senior leadership that is going to take time. But then working with them and go, well, what are your objectives here? What are we actually trying to protect first and foremost? And then trying to, I guess, come up with a staged approach with any of our new markets that we go into. I think the first thing I do is I can't protect what I can't see. (laughs) So, you know, visibility for us is key. So we will deploy systems and software so we can, first, we can target the perimeter. So we'll target the outer shell first, because, you know, from a attack perspective, that's probably an easier avenue. And then we'll obviously target inside the environment as well and look at our cloud service, our managed cloud services and things. And then from there, that ties in things like, you know, working out what are your crown jewels. You can't protect everything. You can't have logs for everything. We were certainly in that situation at one point, but it's basically picking and choosing and then building that capability step by step. You're not going to hit everything and protect everything all in one go. You're just going to have to go, right, what are the really important things we need to get done? It might not be pretty, but it'll get there and then you can refine and build on that really. That makes a lot of sense, Stephen, and that's beautifully described. So just on strategy and tactics then, if we just take a step back and we request your perspective on how you actually have, let's say, conversations with the board about cyber risk appetite, about what is an acceptable level of cyber risk in the organization? How do these conversations go? And how do you think about it in your organization? I must admit, I've had a few different cracks at it. To be brutally honest, from a risk perspective, I've, over the particular time of Domino's, actually, I've, I've tried different ways of trying to talk about risk to senior leaders and the board. And I think I started off, because my background was quite technical, you know, I've had this transition where, Initially, the risk reporting was, I didn't think it was particularly technical. And then you kind of read it back and then you kind of go, oh, actually, no, that doesn't make too much sense. What I've ended up doing is basically looking back at the business and going, okay, well, now when I'm talking about risk to the business, okay, what's important to the business? What are the objectives of the business? You know, with Domino's, we want to grow our customer base, increase revenue, grow our stores, deliver a great product to our customers. Looking at the risk is kind of winding back from that and going, okay, well, for us to do that, well, what services do we need? And then what are the risks that could hinder those services or hinder our ability to generate revenue or to things like fines or any losses due to, I guess, security incidents? So I basically drilled, I basically got it down to three risks. So one of the risks we have is uh, loss of personal data. And these are all very simplistic. Loss of personal data, loss of intellectual property, because we're in a tough market. The fast food industry is very, very competitive. So, you know, that intellectual property gives us our our edge over our competitors. And the other one is the availability of our critical services, our revenue generating services. And really, I've distilled, when I report to the board, I report just those three risks. And that is it. Since I've gone down that path, it kind of resonates with them a lot more because I can go, well, we're doing this program of work, we're putting these particular endpoint and this endpoint will help us to stop a ransomware attack. Or if we get a ransomware attack, this software will help us quarantine these devices so that 
you know, it can't spread across the organization. And when you put it in terms where you go, well, for instance, we basically did some some very basic quantitative analysis for risks, really basic. And we were surprised to find that really, you know, we've been worrying about GDPR fines because they're pretty horrendous. But then when we flipped it over and goes, well, looked at the critical systems and services, as soon as we went, well, what would it cost us if we lost our European stores just for seven days, you know, if they were all taken offline? And to be honest, the GDPR fine just paled in insignificance. I guess that's where the risk management comes into place and making it relevant to the business and not getting too bogged down when you're talking at that senior leadership and board level too bogged down in specific risks like our oh, well, firewalls are you know aren't operating correctly or my I need better endpoint software because to be honest some parts of the business will go well I don't, I don't really care that makes a lot of sense the right level of elevation so just a follow up question from that then Stephen just thinking about the mechanistic or you know just the machinery of cyber risk management do you actually see cyber risk management being seen as a part of overall operational risk some of the other components that actually make up operational risk in the organization, or is it treated quite separately? To a degree, it's still separate. I think as the organization matures in the security space, it is actually being viewed from an operational perspective. And as I just talked about with the risks, particularly now that we are actually highlighting and we're positioning ourselves in that operational space, I think that's beginning to change now. You know, we are driving the messaging home to the rest of the business that, hey, we don't really sit to the side. We are key to the operation of the business. We're integrated kind of everywhere to the point with, you know, the environmental social governance, the ESG paper. There's a piece in there about cybersecurity, you know, so where we're talking about how we're doing good things around the environment, how we're socially responsible, you know, security is in there as well. I think as the profile raises this, I think it will be more integrated into the business. And look, just one final question then, Stephen, on cyber risk. In terms of quantifying cyber risk, right, do you have conversations where you would potentially talk to the board or potentially talk to executive management and actually say, look, we're implementing this security control. And as a result of the security control, this is the level of risk we think will actually reduce to come back to the level that's acceptable to the organization. No, I think we do quantification for those three big risks, but it's really a very, very rough figure that we, you know, we look at GDPR fines, we'll look at what typical customer churn rates are. If you have a data breach, you know, how quickly the customers come back again. And we, we try and get some very, very rough figures to try and quantify those big risks, but we're not actually at the point. We'd love to get there. We'd love to you know, adopt things like the FAIR methodology where we can quantify these risks. We're just not there yet. It's, you know, it's going to take time for us to get there in that space. You've covered off communicating and speaking to the board. And I think always the outcome is to get more investment and, and always that's a, a difficult topic. But how do you ensure that your SOC is adequately staffed and trained just to handle the sheer volume of alerts, incidents and, and emerging threats? Metrics. We use a lot of metrics, as everyone does, to try and determine, I'd guess, the number of calls, how quickly they're closed, how quickly they're triaged. But I think casting all that aside, I would like to say that one of the key indicators I actually have is talking to the team members. I do believe actually talking to my staff and asking them 
how are you feeling with working in the SOC? Are you still engaged? We have weekly meetings where we talk about the kind of calls we're getting in. And if people say, I'm really struggling to understand this, so they can have further awareness training on those kind of calls. And also just getting a feel for, you know, how they're feeling, I guess, emotionally and mentally about the SOC as well. That's something that's often forgotten about. Who would have thought talking to people really helps you uh, measure how effective your team is? It's weird how many people don't even mention that. They don't go, oh, yeah, talk to the team all the time. And I do. I'm generally brutally honest and I get them to be brutally honest. And if they're saying, look, I, I can't cope with this, like I'm not handling the number of calls that we're getting. I don't feel that I'm getting enough time to properly triage a call or I'm losing my marbles because pager duty keeps pinging my phone every hour on the weekend and you know it's just sending me mad and i think apart from the metrics i just i just think that's just so important really and you were talking about even before around how you tinker and, and stay updated and, and your skills are continually getting honed and i think we're we're always doing that but within your team how do you put that mindset especially with newer people into your team and organization how do you create that culture of one, speaking up where they need help, but then secondly, pursuing those passions and learning more. It's challenging. We haven't done from one for a while, actually. In fact, I think the last one we did it was at the Microsoft head office in Brisbane. But we instigated monthly nerd days. In our team, nerd is a good phrase to use. We like that phrase. And the idea was that it was once a month, we would go into the city. It was usually at the ACSC office. And the intent of that day would be we'd find a project that's still related to work, but something that we wouldn't get chance to work on during our normal day. And it could be something out of our wheelhouse. It could be something like, oh, I've been wanting to write some more terrible Python code to do something else, or uh, somebody might want to look at a piece of software that they think would be beneficial to the organization. And I think that was really good for us, not just from the coming up with new solutions, because there's some really good solutions we got out of that. But I think it was good from a bonding perspective as well for the team. So that was one of the aspects we use. Also, we have a, a security news spot. When COVID happened, we operate a remote team as it is, but obviously with COVID, we kind of lost sight of what was happening in the news and what things we were looking at. So we put in basically a security news and all it was was 15 minutes. We'd select a victim from the team. Their role was to just distill what has been happening in the news for the last week. And they would share it in a non-technical manner to the rest of the team. And then the idea then is these, well, these are actually posted up in the SharePoint site. So any member of staff can watch security news and get like a really short summary of what's happening, I guess, in the security space. And we have some similar discussions from a training perspective as well and we do try and I guess push team members into areas they might be interested in or we've had a couple of team members are interested in pen testing so we're going well maybe looking at something like the OSCP if you want to lose six months of your life it's amazing but there's that option there and I guess trying to challenge them give them the space to experiment as well sounds a crazy idea but you know, there could be some merit. Have a go. You know, let's see where we end up with it. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part chat. Join us next episode for the conclusion of this conversation with Stephen. 
You've been listening to Authorized Access, a show about the challenges that businesses face when it comes to cybersecurity. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft ANZ. Microsoft offers a comprehensive set of end-to-end security solutions that span people, devices, apps, and data. For further information, please visit the website, aka.ms slash authorized access. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Authorized Access, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Daniel Goffredo. I'm Jess Dodson. And I'm Kenny Singh. And we'll be back next episode with more Authorized Access. Authorized Access.